This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are reviewing ophthalmology. And um, hello to all our eye doctors out there. Dr. Klum, <laughs> our Thanks favorite, so much. Yeah. yeah <laughs> for helping us out and for making us laugh if Dr. Glockenflacken is listening to the episode. That's right. Most likely. <laughs> if only. Most uh, likely he isn't. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. So we will get to moving with associations with specific abnormalities of the eye. And like you said, I think this is, I mean, really starting to be high yield. It helps us distinguish from multiple kind of genetic conditions or syndromes from another. So we'll start with uh, aniridia, which is really the kind of partial or complete absence of the iris. And if you remember, the iris is the kind of the colored portion tissue of the front of the eye. Um, and it helps... Um, move the pupil, moderate the, the pupil. So aniridia is associated, uh, you told us with one already, uh, with wager, um, W-A-G-R, Wilms tumor, aniridia, G-U anomalies, and um, uh, mental restriction. So um, aniridia should really have you looking for the other findings in uh, wager. There's also um, a kind of a, an associ- a, a similar type syndrome, Wilms tumor aniridia syndrome, uh, which is just Wilms tumor and aniridia, but those go together. Um, also, you can see 11P uh, deletion, which goes together with those other two syndromes. The cherry red spot. So this is one that you know is going to come up on your practice tests. Uh, and then once you've gotten it down, you just hope it comes up on the, the real test. Uh, so the cherry red spot is really a spot in the macular epithelium that is, it's actually normal in color, but it becomes visible because of the thinning of the cell layer in the center of the macula. So we see it as a cherry red spot. And the big uh, things we see these in are in some of our inborn areas of metabolism, <laughs> uh, the lipidoses, so Neiman-Pick A disease and Tay-Sachs disease. So I have a mnemonic. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So you, what do I, I wrote it here. Hold on. (laughs) Hold Hold on, on. everybody. She's getting it. I couldn't remember. (laughs) Okay. So you, you should take a sack to pick cherries. Okay. So neem and pick, taste sacks are the ones with your cherry red spot. Okay. You don't like it. Say that again. (laughs) Uh, you should take a sack to pick cherries. Take sack to pick cherries. Okay, okay. Yes, yes, you, I can do that. you got it. Now you'll know. You're not sure. You're not convinced. I'm, I have to stress test it and see if I'm not missing other stuff. <laughs> okay. Sounds too good to uh, be true. Let's go too on to, to the, 
<laughs> Sounds too good to be true. So the next is the coloboma. Okay. So the coloboma is basically this keyhole shape. So where something should be more round or oval, it has a keyhole yeah, so shape. The, so, so, uh, so we're going to stop you. trying to breathe that much. The black part of your eye, which is usually circular, now looks like a keyhole basically. So it has sort of a... Yeah. Yes, and there can be colobomas that aren't of the pupil, right? So it's basically anything that should be circular now looks like a keyhole. So it's round with a with a a almost like a dripping, mm -hmm. almost like ink, um, ink dripping. That's so true. Ink yeah. dripping, yeah. So um, let's talk about the different uh, colobomas. So you can see it in cat eye syndrome, um, but this is in the iris. So like you said, the pupil is round, but really looks like a keyhole, um, round, and then has this drip below it. Uh, charge association, um, eight, nearly 80% of them have coloboma. That's mm -hmm. the C in charge. Um, and it usually is in the retina. So you may not see it, but with, an, a good, uh, with a good ophthalmologic exam, then you can see the retinal coloboma. You can see them in deletion 13Q. Um, you can see them in trisomy 8, again, in the iris. And you can see them in golden heart syndrome. Golden heart syndrome, uh, that's a, a syndrome that has a lot of abnormalities of the eye and the ear mm -hmm. together. Um, and you can see different kinds of colobomas. And then in Treacher Collins syndrome, it's a coloboma, but frequently of the eyelid. So if you see coloboma of the eyelid, then uh, it's, so it's like a cutout of the eyelid. You should be thinking Treacher Collins. Corneal opacities, which just basic, basically means that the um, cornea is more opaque. We can see this in a number of, uh, a, of diseases. The mucopolysaccharidoses, the mucolipidoses, Fabry disease, cystinosis, hypophosphatasia, and in Wilson disease. Epicanthal folds, um, which are... I think sometimes we forget what, what this is. So you have to really remind yourself. It's basically this uh, redundant skin folds, um, usually attributable to also in conjunction with having a low nasal bridge. And the skin folds extend over the inner canthus or the inner um, corner mm -hmm. of the eye. So we see this in Cree du Chat, deletion 13Q, Fragile X, Noonan syndrome, Smith-Lemley-Opitz, Stickler syndrome, Trisomy 21, and Williams syndrome. It's also seen in fetal alcohol syndrome, in utero methotrexate exposure, and um, through th the teratogenic effect of alproic acid. Uh, heterochromia, so an iris with different pigments. Um, we see this in Wardenburg syndrome, which makes sense because that's also um, a, a syndrome where you have the like white forelock, so streak, uh, white streak in the hair. Um, congenital Horner's syndrome, and you can see it in Hirschsprung's yeah. disease. You know I love Hirschsprung's, so I think that's a really interesting association. Uh, lens dislocation. So you remember this from your medical school days. Um, you see this in homocystinuria, Marfan syndrome, and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Blue sclera, you might see in uh, type 1 and 2 osteogenesis imperfecta, type 3 um, may have blue sclera during infancy that later normalizes, and it's type 4 that has normal appearing sclera. 
You may also see it in Russell Silver syndrome, Ehlers-Danlos, Incontinentia pigmenti, uh, Marfan syndrome, and Turner syndrome. And sometimes even in just routine prematurity, because uh, preterm infants have such thin scleras, their sclera may also appear blue. Uh, finally, the telecanthus, so the inner canthi are laterally displaced. So it looks like um, hypertelorism and strabismus, but again, that's why the measurements would be helpful. Um, you can see this in Wardenburg syndrome. Okay. That brings us to disorders of the eye. And we're starting RP. with a biggie. Did you want to Did you want to do RP? <laughs> I can let you do RP if you want. I was trying to actually look. No. 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 I was very hopeful that, that this you would, would shuffle the, the cards would shuffle this way. Um, <laughs> Twenty eighteen. I'm looking at something. I wanted to make sure I pulled up the AP recommendation for screening of uh, of preterm infants with ROP because you know I feel like this is always this this has already changed um, several mm -hmm. times. Um, okay, so I have I have the article pulled up. Very nice. We're ready to go. So let's talk about ROP. So um, I think this is something we're probably all a bit more familiar with. It's uh, the risk and severity of ROP decreases with uh, gestational age and birth weight. So the more immature a baby is born at, the, the lower their, just their birth weight, the more likely they are to have both ROP or to even have more severe ROP. Uh, almost all infants less than 27 weeks gestation develop some form of ROP. Um, there's increasing incidence of ROP caused by increased survival of very low birth weight preterm infants. And obviously, um, the interventions that we are offering these infants that are sometimes considered risk factors for ROP. Uh, the pathogenesis is basically related to the retinal vascularization progress from the inner retina that's supposed to proceed outward. So coming from the posterior of the eye all the way to the front of the eye. And infants who are born prematurely do not have complete retinal vascularization. And the growing retinal blood vessels are extremely sensitive to alteration in oxidative stress, growth factors, nutrition deficiencies, uh, and so on. If you guys are interested to learn more about ROP, I think Daphna and I did like a full week of episodes and, and we even had uh, an expert on, uh, on this very podcast. Um, it's somewhere on the website. You can definitely find it. It was one of our first few episodes. Now, there's a there's a proposed schematic uh, on the on the review books about the pathogenesis of ROP, um, and that is actually taken directly from a, an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that is actually very very good. I, I use that all the time to explain the pathogenesis. Now, what's interesting is that this is not a continuous process, meaning it's not like you're born and things sort of deteriorate and you have to intervene. So what happens is that everything starts obviously with premature delivery right and at the time of um at the time of premature um delivery you have impaired retinal vascular development right and after a baby is born suddenly the baby is exposed to more oxygen than they would have been if they had remained in utero they are more likely to be exposed to a reactive oxidative or oxygen species um, because of the interventions, and they are exposed to less VEGF, right? Vascular endothelial growth factors. Now, um, if then we, we move into the postnatal course, where you will see something um, defined as capillary constriction, 
And then you enter the two phases of the pathophysiology of ROP. Phase one is that you will get a delay in physiological retinal vascular development. And the primary driver for this delayed development is oxygen toxicity. And you have an increase in, in reactive oxidative species, further suppressing both VEGF and EPO, which, again, if you're interested about the use of EPO and retinopathy of prematurity, we have a whole series of episodes on ROP where we discussed that specific point with Dr. Robin Olds. It's one of my favorite episodes. Um, so that's phase one, right, where we have delayed vascular development. And that technically is not really considered full-on ROP. Now, phase two is really when you make the diagnosis because this is when you get a phase of vasoproliferation, which means that now the blood vessels are growing in sort of an erratic manner and retinal hypoxia due to the absence of normal vascular development of the retina results in, incre in an increase in angiogenic signaling. And now you have an increase in VEGF that's causing some uh, abnormal vascular development. So I hope this makes sense. But what's interesting to remember for board review purposes is that it is not a single thing, right? It's not like, oh, you're exposed to too much oxygen, so thus you get ROP. True, you're exposed to too much oxygen compared to in utero or fetal life, yes, and that's a risk factor. But there's this fluctuation of uh, vascular endothelial growth factor where soon after birth, you, um, there's, a, there's a reduced, um, there's, a, there's a suppression of VEGF because of, of oxygen toxicity, and then retinal hypoxia then stimulates um, VEGF, so, so it's a bit cyclical like that, and you should just probably review that, that in, the, in the review book if that's confusing. Now, the big thing is obviously how do we define, how do we classify ROP, and that can get very tricky. So the first thing we're going to talk about is zones, which is uh, the location where abnormal retinal vessels end, so how far are the vessels going and where are they? And we can define zone one, zone two, zone three. Now, the thing about the eyes is that um, I would say that the zones can be thought of as like a target, you know, like uh, multiple little rings with like a little bullseye in the middle. However, um, it feels like the targets are shifted towards the center where um, it's, it's, it's concentric circles, but they're not perfectly like aligned as a target would. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Zone one is the most posterior part of the retina with the vessels closest to the optic disc. It's the most, immature, uh, the most immature zone with the greatest risk for progression to stage five, uh, particularly if there's plus disease. The way you should think about this is this is where resides uh, sharp vision. And this is where any you'll find that it, as we're grading ROP, anything happening in zone one is going to be cause for panic from our ophthalmologist because that is the one area where we cannot tolerate uh, anything because of, of, of the retina and the optic disc being there. This is where interventions can preserve sharp vision. Then we move to zone two and zone three. Zone two is the area between zone one and zone three defined by uh, more distinctly by the region from the edge of zone one to a point tangential to the nasal aura serrata to the temporal anatomic equator. Sorry. Zone three is the most anterior part of the retina, the most mature zone, and is the most common area involved in ROP, thankfully. So obviously, as you get it, we, we start from the center and we progressively move, um, and it's, uh, we're progressively moving to the anterior phase. It's very important, I think, in my opinion, that one of the points where I actually 
broke free from the understanding of ROP was that you look at the zones and they're flat and two-dimensional structure on your page. But if you think about it as a globe, then it's sort of easier to, to, to understand because that's what your eye is. Now, the uh, ophthalmologist will often refer to clock hours uh, describing the extent. And so this describes the number of clock hours within the retina that shows evidence of ROP. So an example of ROP documentation could be like you have stage one, zone two, four, four clock hours bilaterally. And so this is sort of like where uh, you'll see the extent there. Now let's talk about staging. Uh, the stage refers to the severity of the transition sites of the vascularized and avascular retina. And that's the key. The key is that you have a part that's vascularized, you have a part that's avascular, and then that connection can be the source of all your problems. So stage one, means that you see a clear demarcation line, usually white or yellow, separating the transition of vascular posterior retina and avascular anterior retina. It's flat, very important. We'll talk about how flatness and making a ridge can really be uh, very dangerous for our babies. And it is, obviously, as it is called stage one, the mildest form. Then we have stage two, where the demarcation line is now a bit thicker and elevated. So it forms this little ridge. Okay, just like the ridge you try to climb over to go to the beach, that's what we're looking. Um, and it's abnormally growing immature vessels that are still within the retina, right? So the vessels haven't made it past the ridge. Now, stage three is there's a ridge with extra retinal neovascularization and retinal vessels enter the vitreous space. So now the vessels have made it past the ridge and are progressing forward. Now, the concern with stage three is that the ridge is applying tension on those blood vessels as they're growing. And surprisingly, even though the more, mature, the more recent vessels are uh, more anterior, it's going to pull towards the retina. And the risk is that if the ridge applies too much tension on these blood vessels and pulls, you can actually lead to retinal detachment, which is then stage four. As you start seeing uh, this progress, uh, to stage four, you see partial retinal detachment. Stage five is obviously the worst case scenario, which is you have complete retinal detachment. Now, there's another thing that's interesting that you'll hear ophthalmologists talk about, which is plus disease, as if it's like a bonus. But plus disease is no fun. Plus disease is something that you should take very seriously. And what it refers to is that those blood vessels you're looking at are showing signs of being dilated and being tortuous. So they're sinuous, they're moving around in sort of like, um, like almost like a snake uh, appearance. And it demonstrates advanced vascular disease. And that is a sign that if you see it is ominous for retinal detachment. So if you see this, that's why you say, oh, there's plus disease, we got to treat. Um, and the reason is because it's a sign of this tension being applied already on the blood vessels. Uh, it may also have iris, vascular engorgement, pupillary rigidity, vitreous haze, or hemorrhage. So these are our stages. Now let's talk about threshold versus pre-threshold. So what is threshold? A threshold ROP is stage three. So if you remember, this is when you have the ridge and the vascularization flowing past the ridge with plus disease. So with these tortuous vessel in either zone one or zone two, plus five contiguous clock hours or eight total clock hours, meaning either five contiguous hours uh, along one side or eight total clock hours on, on either side of the, of the clock. The reason it is called threshold is because 50% of these infants progress to stage five. 
Now the treatment is you treat, uh, you ask your ophthalmologist to treat. Risk of retinal detachment can then decrease to 25%, so almost half. And then you have pre-threshold. I'm so sorry. Um, we can blame our ophthalmologist for all these uh, for all this taxonomy. <laughs> but then we have pre-threshold, and then we have type one pre-threshold ROP. Type one means that you have either it depends where you're having it. So if you're having it in zone two, then it means you have stage two or stage three with plus disease, right? So you can let it progress a little bit, and as soon as and then plus disease comes around, um, meaning no, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say this again. Type one pre-threshold ROP means you have you have it in zone two. And you have it either with stage two, zone two, or stage three with plus disease. Okay. Now, zone if it's in zone one, any ROP with plus disease or stage three plus minus plus disease. So, um, like I said, in zone one, we're we're having a very low threshold, and obviously the indication is to treat when you have type one pre-threshold. What if you have type two? So type two is not as bad. Type two means that you have Stage one or zone stage one or two with no plus disease in zone one, or you have stage three no plus disease in zone two, and those can actually just be observed. You don't need to treat. I'm sure that this is hard to gather on a podcast, but at least we've reviewed it, and you can review it um, at home at your convenience. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, we can we're going to stop here, and then we'll talk about screening and management of ROP um, and and complications tomorrow. How does that sound? That sounds good, but you did a very good job on a very tough topic. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I actually learned this because of parents. I found myself as a young fellow, yeah. finally, like, man. They have very good yeah, questions. Yeah, they have great questions. About it. Obviously, it's a super high, um, it's a super important topic for parents because, like, hey, my baby's going to see, not see. Like, my, my baby's going to be blind. That's right. And then you realize. Well, and it was the, for some time, it was the number one cause of blindness, right? right? And, and Which is no longer the case because, because of, of good follow up and screening. treatment. But I found myself, yeah. you know, more like a mad scientist trying to draw the circles and say, you know, they have zone one. So I had to, like, I'm like, I got I to gotta polish my spiel. Yeah. Figure it out. And I think the stages are complicated because, and we discussed this in that, like you said, we did a whole series on ROP, but because it's not flat, it's a three-dimensional object. And so being able to hold it in your, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be easy. But obviously the thresholds and pre-thresholds are, are testable I, materials. I so they're super, super annoying, but it's And then the way material. I think about the, the, the stages is more like vine, you know, like as vine grows on the, on the like it's, it's subjected That's to right. tension and, and like the root may be uprooted if your vine gets mm-hmm. cut somewhere, which is sort of what happens in ROP. So anyway, right, we've overdone our time. I'll see you tomorrow, Daphna. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.